11. We'll be reading verses 1 through 10. If you're using the Pew Bible, that's page 683. Beginning in verse 1, there shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. And the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, and the Spirit of wisdom and understanding, and the Spirit of counsel and might, the Spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. He shall not judge by what he sees what his eyes see, or decide disputes by what his ears hear. But with righteousness he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. And he shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth, and with the breath of his lips he shall kill the wicked. Righteousness shall be the belt of his waist, and faithfulness the belt of his loins. The wolf shall dwell with the lamb, and the leopard shall lie down with the young goat, and the calf, and the lion, and the fattened calf together, and a little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze, their young shall lie down together, and the lion shall eat straw like the ox. And the nursing child shall play over the hole of the cobra, and the weaned child shall put his hand on the adder's den. They shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain, for the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. In that day the root of Jesse, who shall stand as a signal for the peoples, of him shall the nations inquire, and his resting place shall be glorious. Let us pray. Father, we are thankful for this word. And its power is beautiful. Its truth is encouraging. And yet within these words there is also a threat of judgment and that is awe-inspiring. For many it should be frightening. But we ask, Lord, that you may speak to our hearts this morning, that we may see clearly Christ Jesus what he has done, and what he is yet to do. It is in his precious name we pray. Amen. Poetry is a very wonderful thing. We have seen, some of you are familiar with some very wonderful poets. Perhaps you enjoy reading. Perhaps you've memorized some of the work. Perhaps you've shared the poems that you know with your loved ones. Poetry always uses figurative language. Figurative speech, painting word pictures. And when you read the book of Isaiah, you see no lack for figurative language. We see it in our text. But it's there for a reason. There are some metaphors here, and then I believe there are some things that are here that point to actual promises that will come to pass. 
the metaphors are there that teach us of promises that have come to pass. And there are more metaphors here that teach us of things that will come to pass. I would love to spend time on the things we look forward to yet, but we want to look at what has been promised and what already has come to pass. First of all, allow me to speak to you about trees and stumps. If you're a faithful reader of the Old Testament, you've probably heard or read in several places descriptions of trees and stumps. The most prominent one that comes to my mind is Daniel chapter 4. King Nebuchadnezzar, which had conquered Jerusalem, taken captive the citizens of, citizens of Jerusalem, and had brought them into captivity to serve the king of Babylon, had a very disturbing dream. And if you remember the story, they called Daniel, who was known to interpret dreams. And the king described in his dream this massive tree, and the birds took shelter in the tree. And then the tree was cut down. And steel, metal bands, they didn't have steel then, but metal bands covered the stump. And Nebuchadnezzar didn't understand it. And Daniel interpreted the dream describing the tree as the kingdom of Babylon. And Nebuchadnezzar, his influence, his power would soon be cut down according to God's will for times for seasons for a few years that is exactly exactly what happened that Nebuchadnezzar was made a madman this one who had conquered nations who had boasted who is like me in all of this world he exalted himself to such a high authority a high place that God wanted to humble him. But God was not just humbling Nebuchadnezzar. He was showing Israel what had happened to them as well because Israel itself was once a great nation with far-reaching influence, very much like a tree that shaded so many people. And so many people took shelter under its boughs. But Israel became a very proud and sinful nation and God's judgment cut down that influence to the stump. That's why Isaiah 11 begins with the words, There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse. If you remember the son of Jesse, Israel's first legitimate king, was King David. We'll talk a little bit more about that in a few moments. From this stump, a branch from its roots shall bear fruit. If you're a gardener, you've probably cut down a tree in your house that was in the way. I don't like it here. I'm not, it's too big to pull the roots up. Just cut it down. Well, if you don't do anything to roots, before long you're going to see that thing continue to grow. A shoot will come up from that root. The roots are still alive. That tree is still going to grow. 
that's the kind of picture we're seeing here, but the shoot that comes up is a specific shoot. Who is he? What happens? What does he do? Why does he do it? How does he do it? Trees in the Old Testament indicate the sign of lasting peace and provision. They are just kind of a, a literal illustration of long prosperity. In Micah chapter 4, verse 4, everyone shall sit speaking of the restoration of the kingdom. It's going to be so long and so beneficial. Everyone shall sit under his vine and under his tree, and no one shall make them afraid, for the mouth of the Lord of hosts has spoken. Again, in Zechariah 3, in that day, each of you will invite his neighbor to sit under his vine and fig tree, declares the Lord. Length of kingdom, you've got to be in a state of peace in order to live under something that has grown long enough for you to benefit from its shade. You have to live with a vine long enough for you to benefit from the fruit of its grapes. And all of these ideas, all of these pictures are pointing to a day of restoration, a day yet to come. But please be reminded that God judges the nations that defy him. God judges the nations that defy him. He judged the nation of Israel. Because they turned from, they went into apostasy. They went into unfaithfulness. They went into idolatry. But his promise still remains. talked about trees and stumps. Let me talk briefly about kings and righteousness. If you're a student of the book of Proverbs, you've probably read. Proverbs 16 tells us, It is an abomination for kings to commit wickedness, for a throne is established by righteousness. We could change that for our day and time and say it is abomination for presidents to commit wickedness. For the office is established by righteousness. That's suggesting that if there is no righteousness in the man, there is no righteousness in the office. And the office is not officially established in the kingdom of heaven. I'm not quite sure I'm ready to say that yet. But do know that if we have a wicked president in the office... And I'm not pointing my finger at anyone. We've had several. And if they start to make demands upon his people, upon his church, and upon his kingdom, God tells us more than once throughout Scripture, it is better to obey God than man. Again, in Proverbs 16, Righteous lips are a delight of kings, and they love him who speaks what is right. Kings, according to the scripture, are supposed to rule in righteousness. If there is to be peace on earth, then the leadership 
should be righteous. The leadership should be able to provide protection, provide for peace, in rule and justice and mercy and righteousness. Righteous nations are meant to provide peace and safety for generations, one right after the other, for years, for centuries. Israel began well. Israel began in righteousness. But by and by, Israel produced unrighteous kings. And that provoked the judgment of God. That provoked his chastising hand. However, God's promise, remember he made a promise to Israel. God's promise still stood. Our text in verse 1 says, There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. You remember Isaiah, earlier on in Isaiah, just a couple of chapters, Isaiah 9, verse 6. Unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. Upon the throne of David who was the son of Jesse, and over his kingdom to order it and establish it with judgment and justice for the, for that, from that time forward and evermore. The prophecy of the birth of Christ who would be the everlasting eternal king who would rule in righteousness forever over his people. We see in Isaiah 11, a new king and a restored kingdom. Who is he? What does he do? And how does he do it? There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. In verse 2, the spirit of the Lord will rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and of understanding, the spirit of counsel and of power, the spirit of knowledge and the spirit of the fear of the Lord. prophet is giving us clues sevenfold affirmation the Lord of glory is the branch is the root is the one who shall rule on the everlasting throne that he promised to Israel If you look at Revelation chapter 1, Revelation chapter 3, Revelation 4, and 5, you don't need to turn there. Just listen for a moment. We'll move through this point quickly. Revelation 1 chapter 4, verse 4, John, to the seven churches that are in Asia, grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come, and from the seven spirits who are before his throne. Now, we do not really understand fully what John was seeing in his vision of heaven and the glory of God, but he describes there seven spirits. And here in Isaiah 11, there are seven different kinds of spirits, but they all have to be one because they 
are explaining and describing God. Spirit of the Lord, Spirit of wisdom, Spirit of understanding, Spirit of counsel, Spirit of knowledge, and Spirit of the fear of the Lord or reverence of the Lord. All of these things describe one God, Triune, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So the one being described here is the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God. The one being promised here is the Lord Jesus Christ, the Redeemer of Israel. None other than Christ the Messiah. He is the Lord of glory. He is the King of righteousness. And he promises an eternal kingdom. There shall come forth the shoot from the stump of Jesse and the branch from his roots shall bear fruit. His roots, as I mentioned before, he had promised David an everlasting kingdom. If you look at 2 Samuel chapter 7, these are the words he gave to David. I have been with you whenever you went and have cut off all your enemies from before you. We all remember what kind of success David has as a warrior king. I will make for you a great name like the name of the great ones of the earth, and I will appoint a place for my people Israel and will plant them so that they may dwell in their own place and be disturbed no more. And violent men shall afflict them no more as formerly. From that time that I appointed judges over my people's Israel, and I will give you rest from all your enemies. Moreover, the Lord declares to you, that the Lord will make you a house. When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you, who shall come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. The Lord made a promise to David. A promise to deliver them from their enemies. A promise that their kingdom should experience peace. And this promise would continue to the throne of his son Solomon. Both David and Solomon together were types of Christ. If you've ever studied typology, as you study theology, there were types of Christ in the Old Testament. Moses was a type of Christ. He was a deliverer. He was kind of a redeemer. He brought people out of bondage into the promised land. Christ does that for you and I spiritually. David also was a type of Christ. Solomon was a type of Christ. David was the victorious warrior. Christ is our victorious warrior because he has conquered death. King Solomon was a king of glory, a king of wisdom and peace. Christ is our king of glory, king of wisdom, and king of peace. And after Solomon came to the throne, after David was already dead and buried, Solomon orchestrated and oversaw the building of the Lord's house, the temple. And after all of that was complete in 1 Kings 4, Solomon's provision for one day was 30 cores of fine flour, 60 cores. It first goes into all 
it took for Solomon to manage the temple complex and all the priests and all the servants that worked there. For one day, 30 cores of fine flour, 60 cores of meal, 10 fatted oxen, 20 oxen from the pastures, and 100 sheep, besides deer, gazelles, roebucks, and fatted fowl. For he had dominion over all the region on his side, and the river from the Tipsa even to Gaza, namely over all the kings on his side from of the river, and he had peace on every side all around. And Judah and Israel dwelt safely. Listen carefully each man under his vine and his fig tree promised to be in peace long enough to enjoy the shade and the fruit of the grape. Now, we know there was a blessing upon Israel from the Lord for a while, but as they slipped away into apostasy and unfaithfulness, God's chastising hand came upon them. But the promise of a righteous king and the promise of long-lasting peace remains. It is still there. The promise, figuratively speaking, that each man would, under, would be able to live under his own vine or under his own tree. This is something that was promised and this is something for you and I that shall be. It is yet to come. Sinful men or sinful kings could not faithfully deliver what God could. The shoot that came from the stump of Jesse shall bear fruit. He is bearing fruit. His covenant promise assures it. He is the king ruling over an eternal kingdom. He is the Lord of glory. He is the king of righteousness. Verse 5, the Bible says, Righteousness shall be the belt of his waist, and faithfulness the belt of his loins. He shall rule an eternal kingdom, fulfilling his promise. He will carry out justice. That's what he does. He will carry out justice, and he will establish righteousness. Zechariah 3 Beginning at verse 8, the Bible says, Hear, O Joshua the high priest, you and your companions who sit before you, for they are a wondrous sign. For behold, I am bringing forth my servant, the branch. For behold, the stone that I have laid before Joshua. Upon the stone are seven eyes. Behold, I will engrave its inscription, says the Lord of hosts. And I will remove the iniquity of that land in one day. In that day, says the Lord of hosts, everyone will invite his neighbor under his vine and under his fig tree. I will remove the iniquity in one day. And then you can be assured that my promise for everlasting peace is secure.
more is still to come. Micah 4, the Bible says, He shall judge between many peoples and rebuke strong nations afar off. They shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. There is coming a day for you and I when all of this is over. After the last trump and the Lord returns again, there is coming a day when there shall be a new heaven and a new earth. There shall be eternal peace where we shall enjoy fellowship under our own trees and under our own vines. And how does he do it? In verse 3 of our text, His delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. He shall not judge by what his eyes see or decide disputes by what his ears hear, but with righteousness he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. And he shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth and with the breath of his lips he shall kill the wicked. Scratch your head for a moment if you need to. And think about this. He shall not judge by what his eyes see or decide disputes by what his ears hear. If any of you are ever accused of a crime and you have to go before a judge, that judge, that earthly judge is going to want to see some evidence or he's going to want to hear some testimony. He needs some information to decide whether you've committed the crime or not. But what we are seeing here are descriptions that call to mind a God of mercy. He shall not judge by what his eyes see or decide disputes by what his ears hear. But with righteousness he shall judge the poor and decide with equity the meek of the earth. I am convinced when our Lord Jesus began his ministry by preaching the Sermon on the Mount, I am convinced he had this text from Isaiah in mind. He didn't quote it word for word. A lot of people remember those blesseds. Blessed are the poor in heart. Blessed are the meek. Blessed. But sometimes they stop short when they say, blessed are the, blessed are the poor. The Lord said, blessed are the poor. He's going, to, he's going to save all the poor. That's not what it says. Blessed are the poor in heart. Those who recognize their sinful condition and their spiritual poverty. Those are the ones that God blesses. Those are the ones God responds to. You cannot come to God with a heart full of pride. You must come to God recognizing that you are a sinner in, needing, in need of his mercy, in need of his grace. In the Sermon on the Mount, the Lord said, Blessed are the poor in heart, for theirs is the kingdom of God. This is what he is talking about. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. He has promised a new heaven and a new earth. 
and one day we will live there without any fear of death or war or suffering. He provides your righteousness. He provides your righteousness. He makes you clean. He washes away your sin. He carries away your shame. He makes you righteous. By his own deeds, by his own obedience, by his own sacrifice, he makes you righteous. And that righteousness is offered to you as a free gift that you receive by faith. 1 Corinthians 1, the Apostle Paul said, God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are. Here again, I believe the Apostle Paul is even speaking about those who are poor in heart. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are to bring to nothing things, even things that are, are not to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. He is the source of your life in Christ Jesus, whom God made our wisdom and our righteousness and our sanctification and redemption. Therefore, as it is written, let no one boast. Excuse me, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. He provides your righteousness. Indeed, he is your righteousness. Psalm 103.11 describes exactly what he has done for you on the cross. As far as the heavens are high above the earth, so great is his mercy toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. As a father, the father pities his children, so the Lord pities those who fear him. He provides righteousness. That is one wonderful thing that he does. He also exacts judgment. He carries out judgment and justice. Three times in the book of Revelation. Revelation 1 verse 16 Describe, John's describing the vision of the Lord. He had in his right hand seven stars, and out of his mouth went sharp two-edged sword, and his countenance was like the sun shining in strength. Revelation 2.16, Repent, or else I will come to you quickly and will fight against them with the sword of my mouth. And again, Revelation 19.15, Out of his mouth goes a sharp sword, that with it should strike, that he should strike the nations, and he himself will rule them with a rod of iron. I remember as a younger man reading and struggling with these words, when you're raised up in a television generation, you, you think in pictures, and here, here God has this sword coming out of his mouth. And that just, I thought that was so weird. But he is talking about the power 
of his word to bring righteousness and judgment. Righteousness and judgment, a two-edged sword to bring redemption and condemnation by the proclamation of his word. Returning to our text, his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. He shall not judge by what he sees or decide disputes by what his ears hear, but with righteousness he shall judge the poor and decide with equity the meek of the earth. And he shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth. Very similar language to what Revelation tells us. He shall strike the word earth with the preaching of his word. Every time the word is properly, righteously, faithfully preached, it is bringing judgment upon those who refuse to repent and is bringing grace to those who believe. But this world is so dead and so numb that many never hear it. Who is he? He is the eternal king of righteousness, the redeemer of the lost, the savior of the sinner. What does he do? He establishes justice and judgment, and he establishes righteousness and grace. Righteousness shall be the belt of his waist, and faithfulness the belt of his loins. And what else does he do? I wish I could spend more time right here because it is just so encouraging, but there is a promise of an eternal, peaceful kingdom. In verse 6, The wolf shall dwell with the lamb, and the leopard shall lie down with the young goat, and the calf, and the lion, and the fattened calf together, and a little child shall lead them. Cow and the bear shall graze, the, their young shall lie down together. And the lion shall eat straw like the ox. The nursing child shall play over the hole of the cobra, and the weaned child shall put his hand on the adder's den. They shall not hurt or destroy on all my holy mountain, for the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. In that day the root of Jesse, who shall stand as a signal for the peoples, of him shall the nations inquire, and his resting place shall be glorious. I saw something on newscast this last week how the ranchers out in the West, since the wolf has been placed upon an endangered species, no one can kill the wolf. And now their numbers are getting so large now, they're beginning to overwhelm the ranchers out in the West who are raising livestock for food. You can't trust the wolf. One, one guy said the only good wolf is a dead wolf. And yet, no one can kill them. Here, God is promising a day when the wolf and the lamb shall dwell together. Bears, especially the cubs, are just so cute. 
But all the park rangers and all the officials who know better warn you that if you're ever in the woods, do not provoke a bear. They will hurt you. But the day is coming. And the cow and the bear shall graze together. All God is saying right here is that he is going to restore this earth as it was before the fall in the Garden of Eden. He is going to restore it as it was at creation, before sin stained everything. He's going to remove the curse fully. In just a few moments, we're going to come to a table that reminds us just how he accomplishes this. He accomplished it through his own death on the cross. Brother and sister, I hope this encourages you and helps you and helps you treasure this time we remember what he has done. Shall we pray? Lord in heaven, thank you for your word and its truth and its power. And while it's been a little difficult to apply what we've heard this morning, Lord, may it encourage our hearts. So much of this world that we see now discourages us. It brings fear in some of our hearts. But we know, we know that in Christ Jesus we have eternal life. And because of him, we are part of an everlasting kingdom. And we look forward to a day when all death and suffering shall be no more. Let us remember what Christ has done for us this day. His love for him and his glory, we pray. Amen.